Welcome to the brand new podcast series, Talking Against Stalking, where I talk about my experiences of stalking and other crimes that fall under violence against women and girls, interview other victims to hear their stories and interview professionals to understand the perspectives coming from the different sectors in the UK. I'm your host, Joey, and today I will tell you about my experience of stalking before and during a relationship which started back in 2010. But first of all, if you do not know what stalking is, stalking is a crime in which one person becomes fixated or obsessed with another and performs unwanted and repeated behaviour in which causes the victim to feel distressed, scared and harassed. This can lead to serious mental health difficulties, disruption to lives and in some cases death. I was 14 when I met this perpetrator. We met eyes one morning as I walked home from a girls' night and with one look, there was instant attraction. When I received a friend request on social media a few days later from the same man, I wish I could tell you that I was confused as to how he found me with no way of knowing my name, no mutual friends, and no idea where I live. I wish I knew that stalking was the only way he could have accomplished this. However, all I felt as a 14-year-old girl was sheer excitement and adrenaline. He asked me for my age first during a brief conversation in the messages and after he proceeded to tell me he was 21, in which my response was, I'm too young for you then. I thought the first time me and my perpetrator met face to face was that him buying me alcohol was him treating me like an adult. We sat for hours talking, getting to know each other. He informed me he was in fact 20 but nearly 21. He told me all about how I look and act so much older than I am. I thought the fact we spent that night together and not even a kiss took place was him respecting me as a woman. The way he looked at me like I was the only person in the world, like I was a goddess. I can't explain how that kind of love bombing makes you feel, especially when the only attention I'd had from boys previously was either calling me a horse face or objectifying my body and telling telling me my boobs weren't as big as my friends. I was too tall, but still wanting to grab anything they could without my consent. But here was this man, attractive, charming man, who, from my point of view, could attract any girl he wanted, but he chose me. What I'm describing is how grooming and stalking can go hand in hand when the victim's a minor. The relationship progressed as you would imagine a toxic one would. Very fast and intense, Within weeks, we were in love. Within months, he was testing that love with mind games and tricks. Tricks disguised as romance and safety. He would invent problems in behaviour or actions that I would do, which were in fact perfectly okay to do, like like being friends with boys or not texting back straight away, and convince me how terrible of a thing it was to do to him. But he would forgive me and use this forgiveness as leverage to get away with the abusive behaviour that I should therefore have to forgive him for. Because we both have flaws, we were both not perfect, which is what makes us perfect together. Then the stalking mutated. It developed over time. First, when I was at friends' houses, turning up to check who I was there with, and that in fact, I was where I said I was. When I tried to break things off, he was then secretly following me and finding things out about me to blackmail and manipulate me into staying in this relationship. He became possessive and controlling but it was so insidiously that I didn't notice it was happening. We made all these plans to spend our life together and what it would look like 
but he would mix the ideas of our house with a white picket fence along with him being the provider and I wouldn't have to work convincing me that these were things that I wanted and so subtly and without a trace I was under the illusion that this was what my life was going to look like and without him in it it wasn't worth living and I couldn't have all these amazing things and be happy without him there to provide the happiness. He was the only person to tell me how beautiful and sexy and amazing I was. And it was almost like he gave me this confidence and he could just as easily take it away. And for many years he did. Four months in and I was so infatuated that the abuse felt like love. The gaslighting and the fear tactics and the rape, it all felt like love. The mood changes were so sporadic that when he was love bombing and being kind and romantic, I clung to it. And in fact, I thrived off it. And I thought I was bringing out the best in him and that without me, he would only be the darkness inside of him. Therefore, when the darkness came out, I felt as though it was my responsibility to keep it at bay and make it go away. He went from making love to rage in a matter of a moment from proposing and to threatening me in mere minutes. One day he was showing up with romantic gifts and surprise hotels booked for the night, and the next day he was hunting down enemies armed with a knife. The bullying I received from people at school, his friends, adults his age and above, who I didn't even know, it was just constant. Being shouted at all day at school from strangers that I was a slag, a slut and a freak. So then received the same torment walking home, to and from meeting him, basically anywhere I went. Then for my family to find out about this relationship and be against it, I had wedges formed between me and them. I lost friends, so soon enough, he was the only person I could turn to, with the only friends I had left thinking he was the angel I'd been making him out to be. The sad fact is, I thought if I told anyone about the physical abuse, which I thought was the only form I was receiving at the time, I innocently assumed that I'd be automatically believed and that I wouldn't be able to be with him, that everyone would see him for what he was and my parents would put a final stop to it. My friends wouldn't be my friends if they saw me as this foolish girl who would stay with him or worse, that he must not be hurting me if I was staying with him and I'd be brandished a liar. At least this way, I still have my integrity with my friends. However, this all changed on April 12th, 2011 when he turned up at the school gates to surprise me and walk me home, which I would usually do with my friends. He suspected I was up to something when I asked if I could spend time with one of my friends before meeting him later on that day. When we started walking and I informed him my friend was just coming to my house with me whilst I got ready, as I normally would before going straight to his flat with him, he lost control and went into a fit of anger. My friend and me were walking as fast as we could to my house while he stumped behind us screaming at the top of his lungs at me. The mask slipped. This facade of charm and angelic charisma that he'd convinced the world of started to crack. I ended the relationship by throwing his flat key out of the window in the safety of my home, with my friend fueling my confidence and bravery. With him walking away, I felt as if he'd accepted that we were over and everyone seeing who he truly was. Therefore, I felt as if me and my friend walking to her house and meeting friends to get us some cigarettes from the shop on the way was going to just be fine. However, he secretly followed us, announcing his presence as I got close to our friend, a small group of boys that were part of our big friend group and that would hang out at our youth club and our usual hangout spots. The vocal anger turned into physical rage. He pushed one boy into the road so hard that he landed on his back and with luck on his side there was no oncoming 
no oncoming traffic. He squared up to the other boys, at which point I was trying to put myself in between them. He pushed me aside and when I continued to try and stop him by pulling his arm backwards, he shoved me into a wooden post and onto the ground. I begged and pleaded to leave them alone and come and talk around the corner in private, just to me, as a last bid to keep my friends safe, and he agreed quicker than you could imagine. He pulled me around the corner, instantly beginning the next round of shouting and threats. He told me he should rip the hair out of my head that he paid to get done at the salon that what I'd done to him today is unforgivable and I stood perfectly still, watching the face that I'd kissed, the face that I'd stroked and cuddled cheek to cheek with, the face that I loved, turn once again into this fear-invoking man. I don't even know how long I stood there. I don't remember anything else he'd said. It almost turned into background noise as I watched his face spit and go from one shade of red to the next. And before I knew it, the police came around the corner with my friend, another one of my girlfriends joining her and the group of boys. It was in that moment that I truly knew I couldn't go back to him and that the text sent that day professing our infinite love for each other right before I mentioned spending some time with my friend before meeting him that day would be the last moments that our relationship remained intact. On the next episode, I will be joined by an inspirational woman called Alassia from Dea Coaching who will be sharing her story of being stalked when she was just 19. We'll be talking about the topic of near-death experiences because of domestic violence and stalking and how it can affect people's lives. At the end of every episode, I shine a light on one female who has died due to stalking in the UK. This episode, in honour of National Stalking Awareness Month just ending, I will talk about Peggy Clinky. Peggy was murdered by a stalker on January 18th, 2003, who then went on to kill himself. Peggy met her then-boyfriend, Patrick Kennedy, in 1988, and her sister Debbie described her personality switching a little into their relationship. This relationship lasted three years until Peggy ended it in March 2002. The stalking began the day the relationship ended, with her being bombarded with calls, followed, watched, and Peggy was described as very strong and determined to shake this man from her life. And the more she ignored, the more angry Patrick got. She went to the police on numerous occasions and eventually filed for a restraining order with the police not doing anything to help on her behalf. Peggy even said to the DA, will it take a bullet to my head for you to do something? With no help from the police, Peggy and her new partner fled to California and went into hiding. Patrick, with the help of a private investigator he'd hired, spent months searching for Peggy. And when they found her, he flew to California, drove to her area. He found out her exact address from a local delivery driver. And when he found her, he proceeded to tape Peggy's hands together and beat her senselessly. After she managed to bravely escape this encounter and fled to what she thought was the safety of a neighbor's house, Patrick followed. Peggy called the police and as he broke into the home, as she told the SWAT team not to enter because he was going to kill her if they did. She told them her last words to her family members. Patrick Kennedy then shot Peggy Clinky and then himself after relentlessly stalking her for 10 months. Peggy's sister Debbie founded National Stalking Awareness Month and this year introduced National Stalking Awareness Day on January 18th, where people around the world wore something sparkly in honour of Peggy being described as having a sparkling personality and lighting up a room. 
To see more about Peggy and her sister Debbie's amazing work in speaking out and educating lawmakers, law enforcement and court systems about stalking in the US and its devastating effects, visit stalkingmuststop.org. Stalking is a really horrific and serious crime that affects one in three females. I'm on a mission to spread awareness and share stories. If you feel that you or someone you know is experiencing stalking, talk to a family member or professional about it. You can also visit the Alice Ruggles Trust, Susie Lampog Trust and Action Against Stalking websites to see a load of information. If you feel you need to take further action, you can call the National Stalking Helpline or the police on 101. If you have any interest in telling your story or you simply want to give me feedback, you can contact me by email at talkingagainststalking at hotmail.com. If you've enjoyed my podcast episodes, follow Talking Against Stalking on Instagram and share the episodes to spread the awareness of stalking. Stalking.